I've lost count of how many days we've been here, but it's definitely more than 28. Yeah, this is uh, about 56 days later, I think. 56 days since the COVID lockdown began, and you find us this evening, America's most enraged podcast, The Pod People. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I just woke up, I'm naked, and I don't know what's going on. God damn it, I was going to do the same thing. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm Ben, and I don't know what you guys are talking about. I haven't really been paying attention to the news. Hi, I'm Cleveland Mosier, and despite all my rage, I'm still just a chimp in a cage. Oh, damn, that's a good one. There you go. I I came up with it after you hit record. (laughs) Nice, man. That's That's the best ones. Tonight, we find ourselves back in the year 2002, a year where we've spent a lot of time recently, and somehow we keep finding our way back here. But if only we could go back to actual 2002, instead of just through the medium of film. Back to the George W. Bush press. God, yeah. <laughs> well, Wanting I'm just thinking back pre-COVID. To yeah, this is a weird feeling. I'm just thinking pre-COVID, baby. Oh. And in 2002, I was nine years old. And that was probably an okay time to be nine. So this week, as promised, we're talking about the zombie classic from 2002, 28 Days Later. Directed by Danny Boyle, written by Alex Garland. Oh, and Danny Boyle, the piper, he is peeping <laughs> from mountaintop, from... All right, let's check that all. All right, you can, you can carry on. Sorry. Uh, the film stars Cillian Murphy, Naomi Harris, Brendan Gleeson, and Megan Burns. And despite his name, this is a serious role. He's not silly and around. God damn it. I didn't know if you were talking about him or Brendan Glee, son. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. So, yeah, 28 Days Later. I haven't seen this movie in probably a decade. This was your first time seeing it, Cleveland? Yeah, I had somehow never seen this one. I talk a lot about how I live under a rock, but yeah, this is this is definitely a film that you would have to be living under a rock to have not seen. Like, it is so deeply ingrained in pop culture. Its influences and references are obviously found everywhere especially after watching the movie i could that's loudly apparent i feel like this movie is the first major modern zombie movie yeah in that this generation more so than that this film kind of revitalized the whole zombie genre and was sort of revolutionary too because this is like the first media appearance of fast zombies I can't think of one before this where the zombies aren't slow, shambling, moaning corpses returned from the dead. I've definitely like heard it credited as that. I don't have the numbers on it, but it would seem to be. If not the first, certainly what popularized it. And like you said, the the influences on other media after this are everywhere. Like, Left for Dead would not exist without this movie. Yeah, Left for Dead, Walking Dead. Well, The Walking um, Dead might still exist, but it it definitely rips off its its opening. So, weird thing for me is I I watched the first couple seasons of Walking Dead before getting... Yeah, back when it was still good. Yeah, yeah, but before... When Frank Darabont was involved. Yeah, yeah um, the Sean episode is, uh, I think, when I stopped watching. 
Uh, or Carl, that's it. Yeah, Carl. Yeah. Which which okay. one? Yeah. He does that so many times. The in prisoner the series. one. Carl. There, there's that Carl scene. Carl. Let's, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, there's only one. Like Carl. Carl. Uh, so yeah, I got I got that far with Walking Dead when it was airing. And uh, is it still on? It yes. is. Christ. They just Have finished mercy. their tenth season. God, I think. I guess good for them. I, I, think, I don't. I don't really hold any resentment towards it. I but think I got it's tired supposed it. to be their last season, but they also have that spinoff show now. Oh yeah, Fear the Walking yeah, Dead. So it's never really over. No one's ever really gone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the reason uh, we brought it up is uh, because it starts the exact same way. What the fuck? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. I had no idea. Like, the like, guy wakes up from a coma in a hospital. Like, like doesn't the, know that the apocalypse has happened. Yeah, yeah. you you could only do that once in a zombie film, no less. Like, it's it's the same apocalypse and everything. Like, why I don't th- I hear I, about that more often? That like they just straight ripped it. I think it's more intelligently handled in this movie. Yeah, I think so too. too. Yeah, you yeah. know, a lot of the world building is done really organically. In that whole sequence, he wakes up, he uh, is confused because everything is in shambles in the hospital, everything's empty. He goes out to the streets, all the streets are empty. He sees a newspaper on the ground that says something about evacuation, and then he sees that big wall of uh, notes of yeah, people looking that for are missing. missing family members and, and stuff. And I think yeah. that's such a brilliant and tight and economical way of giving you all that backstory without having any sort of real expository dialogue. It is very economic. I really wish that the movie actually started with Cillian Murphy waking up in the hospital. I like things about the introductory scene where we see, like, where the outbreak came from, but I think it would be so much cooler to, like, not have any of that context right off the bat, to just start with Cillian Murphy waking up in the hospital and seeing, like, London completely abandoned and us figuring it out with him. I think that would be way more effective, because, like, the first first scene is is like eco-terrorists breaking into like an animal testing lab to like free a bunch of chimpanzees i thought it was fun i did i did like the animal. it's fun i mean the the scene is well handled i like that it's very resident scene. evil it is yeah it's very resident evil i mean this whole movie is the, the characters are very stupid um in true horror movie fashion i think though i love the way that scene is shot and how it's lit but i feel like it almost gives away too much right and off I the bat i almost feel like it's a little more campy than the rest of the movie mm-hmm. uh, especially the doctor oh yeah, yeah. Well, and how they just ignore him he's like it's infected with rage and like cool let's let it out of the cage <laughs> Right, exactly. Like, I don't agree with animal testing any more than most people do, but, like, if I was in that situation and the doctor that was working there was like, don't let the monkeys out, they're infected, they're gonna infect you, I wouldn't be like, ah, fuck you, doctor, I'm letting these beautiful monkey beasts out. Right, and they they could just have them say it, like, as they're opening the cage. Or, like, once it's come out during right, the pandemic. Right, he straight up tells them, He's just like, like no, it's infected with rage! Ah, while it's ripping a guy apart, done. In like, fairness... Like, problem solved. <laughs> in fairness, he's a little bit... I think he's a little unnecessarily vague. He just says... <laughs> they, 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 he says they're infected, and they say infected with what? He just says rage right which is like like, which is like scientist he's not like a like a theater it's a cool line uh, but like yeah i would tell him like there's a virus like it's a virus it's highly contagious it's like rabies they're they're basically rabid like that's what i would have said like like it just 
that sounds to me like a theater practice teaching thing is like all right you're infected with rage go (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's it that kind of thing is like the calling card of of a young writer which alex garland was i think he was about 30 when he wrote this script um his stuff has improved a lot do you think that sequence was in the original draft or do you think it was added after the fact i think think it feels right i I was about to bring that up i think it feels added after the fact i wouldn't be surprised some if some exec- executive was like, "This is too confusing." Why did the the outbreak happen? Outbreaks don't happen for no reason. Someone had to eat a bat soup or something. Yikes! <laughs> <laughs> the original wet market. Uh, <laughs> I no, I think you're absolutely right though. It feels like the studio, uh, whoever produced this film, being like. It's too vague, him waking up in the hospital, and there's it's too long before something exciting happens. We need something to, like, hook the viewer. And I think it's probably smart for, like, your average moviegoer, like, start them with something exciting and spooky, but I don't know. I think it would be way cooler to just, like, see Cillian Murphy waking up in a totally abandoned London and what the fuck is going on. Well, and the movie's so much from his point of view that having a scene completely separate from that just feels off yeah in some respects um i definitely agree and i think the the funny thing about that too is i think the pacing of the whole of the movie but especially the beginning of the movie it isn't particularly slow like you get that you know opening sequence where he's wandering through but like Five minutes in, he gets to the church, and shit goes awry. And I think that's a way better reveal for the zombies than, like, rage monkeys at the beginning. I love that scene when he goes to the church. Like, that slow pan when he's walking up the stairs and somebody has just smeared on the wall, repent, the end is extremely fucking nigh. Uh, And then he, like, goes up into the, the balcony and just looks down and sees all of the corpses, just like the dozens and dozens of bodies in the church. That's a way cooler reveal. It was spooky, too, when he calls out, like, two of the people looked up. Yeah, Yeah, and they have that kind of, like, blank, primal sort of expression that all of the zombies have. I guess that's a a good segue. What do y'all think of the zombies in this movie? Uh, Good. Uh, I think, uh, well, no, if if I could summarize them in one word, it'd be jump cuts. What do you mean? You ne- you never see him for like more than like a second. Every time a zombie shows up, like they're they're constantly like, oh, yeah. cutting. I just did 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 did. And the editing's pretty frenetic. I get the feeling that's yes, largely I, to well, hide, well them, hide some of the makeup. I definitely yeah. want to talk more about the overall style yeah. of that stuff, but we'll get into yeah, that. Yeah, we can talk about the with zombies. The, with the yeah. zombies themselves, I think they're fun. And I think I love the, the, the approach of making it a disease rather than ooh coming the, back the from the dead. The corpses are coming back from the dead. Yeah, um, it's a very modern take, and I think uh, it's welcome and it's super influential to where zombies have gone since then. Yeah, it's basically now, yeah. it's basically just like hyper rabies, which is cool conceptually and now has been done to death. And it's interesting to watch this movie now. And to, like, see some of the stuff they do and be like, ugh, that's so tropey. And then be like, oh, no, wait, this was the start of that trope. This is the origin of those tropes. I wish I'd watched this movie, like, ten years ago. I think I saw it for the first time when I was, like, 13 or something, 13 or 14. Yeah, that would have been a great time to see it. It's very 
British. Just the style of it is very British. Like, the aesthetic. It looks like something that would be on the BBC from, like, 2002, 2003. Let's dig into the style. Yeah, because you wanted to talk about that. Because this was one of the first major films shot completely on digital video, and it very much carries that aesthetic with it. Yep. It's very DV camera heavy. Um, very naturalistic in uh, shots. A lot of high shutter speed, really, you know, jumpy stuff, um, especially when you get to the zombies. I think it all plays into the overall tone of the movie, interestingly. The one thing I'll say about it, though, is a lot of the shots themselves are badly dated. While the sequencing is good between shots, the shots themselves... The image quality is just kind of low. I don't even mind the image quality too much. There's too many Dutch angles. Yes, that is exactly what it is. I think that's the crux of it, is you don't get many just, like, straight-on shots. Everything is crooked. Also, there's a lot of times where, like, they'll break the 180 during action scenes, or they'll just have, like, the the pacing and, like, the, the cuts be so frenetic and so tight that, like, you can't understand what is going on. Most of the time, it's it's to the benefit of it like i'm i'm not really a big advocate for that i i tend to like my shots to be like well paced well sequenced and like maybe to be able to understand what's going on even in like horror i tend to prefer like clear blocking here like it it does most of the time like serve its effect of being like jarring confusing there are times where i think it it doesn't and it's just utter chaos and it sort of becomes white noise because you you can't really see what's going on you can't tell like so you kind of lose any, like, grip on it. And so it's kind of hard to be, like, worried for anyone if you don't know if they're okay or not. This movie is one of the few instances where I think that kind of camera work and editing works. I agree with you most of the time. I prefer uh, more clear blocking in action sequences and shots where I can actually, like, follow the action. Um, you know, John Wick is, like, the prime modern example of doing that right. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, like, to do that often, like, you need a much larger budget. You need to really spend more time with the zombies if you're going to have, like, cleaner blocking. Like, uh, well, I think that the cleaner blocking would actually not work as well in this movie solely because of like the nature of the zombies they are enraged they're frenzied they're animalistic and i think that using such disorienting camera work and editing techniques enhances that feeling of being chased by like a frenzied beast you know it's not like like a group of people like fighting i want to see how they're hitting each other or not hitting each other and stuff like that i think this movie is very indicative of its time for the early 2000s because like this same era we've talked about before as like the born movies that like really popularized that like handheld shaky cam action stuff and well at least i think it works yeah, I think it works here, though. Most of the time in this movie, they don't rely on shaky camera as much as they rely on just quick cuts. Yeah. And I'll take quick cuts over shaky cam every day. Sure. Shaky cam is just a good way to, like, piss me off and give me a migraine. I was never, like, pissed at the film. Like, the, for, the, for fighting, the fighting in this movie is not about like martial prowess or technique or anything no well it's it's survive it's survival you know it's i think i think that you could do it with cleaner shots but you need more of a budget to hire like 
extras who are like really physically capable uh, to demonstrate like how like almost like superhumanly angry these zombies are. They have to use these quick cuts and stuff to make us think that these zombies are faster than, you know, the, the extras are capable of. And if you could, you know, use other like cinema tricks to to show us that, like to show us like their their rage and like clearly, clearly demonstrate that. I think it'd be pretty spooky, but I think it'd also require a great deal of money. To pull oh, man, off. I don't know if I agree. I think I think this is a perfect case of the medium building synchronicity between the, the style and what they're going at because of how quick and frenetic all the cutting is it really feels like you're on the edge of being caught up to at any given time and i think if you had cleaner shots and cleaner sequences then i could see that i was about to be caught at any given time yeah yeah exactly exactly you would be able to see it ahead of time the idea is the sequencing itself gives you the feeling that the characters are experiencing directly Yeah, it happens so fast you don't have time to see it coming. And that often happens when the infected attack the characters in this movie is it's almost always without warning. The camera work sort of facilitates that in a way that cleaner techniques would not. And it's not just the use of quick cuts. It's the use of a lot of really tight close-ups. Yes. With people running in tight close-ups... And with a high shutter speed like they have, it just feels so choppy and so frenetic. And I like that they use, in some of like the chase sequences, they use long lenses so you don't have as great of an idea of like depth of field so it's hard to gauge like how close the zombies are to the people that they're chasing because the the depth of field is so shallow i really like that kind of stuff you don't have time to stop and look over your shoulder and see how close they are you just got to keep running or they're gonna get you they're not the slow shambling unavoidable uh impending doom of the old zombies they're something new and scarier i don't know i i don't know if fast zombies are really scarier than other zombies slow zombies are are are, are pretty spooky just because that sense of like the inevitable march of death is quite spooky it's more existential it's like you can run but they're always going to be there and there's always going to be so many of them it's like you're really just prolonging the inevitable right i think it's spookier from like a more mature perspective and i feel like danny boyle is a weird director for me because I'm so hit or miss with his films. Um, yeah. And he definitely has a distinct style. Like, this is not the only movie he's used some of those stylistic tropes. But I think it works better in this one than a lot of his later films. Give me this over Slumdog Millionaire any day. Oh, God. Yeah, um, seriously. But uh, I think the the real magic of this movie is both, you know, the, the subjective camera and the way things about the world and the world building are revealed in a very organic way yeah it doesn't feel like a very exposition heavy film even though they're like there is exposition like when you meet new characters like they fill you in a little bit more on like what's going on because you're with Cillian Murphy you've you have no idea how these these events came to be. It feels natural. I think that's probably Alex Garland's dialogue. The dialogue is pretty good, I think. Oh, it's quite good uh, for the most part. I think the acting is pretty solid across the board as well. 
I, I would give a lot of props to the production design as well. The things that stick out to me and the things that I remember the most about this movie are like the window with the flashing lights or all of on that ceiling of that building, all of the, the buckets that are oh, scattered yeah. about the oh, whole ceiling. He's been to using to catch water, catch rainwater. Water. And uh, even at the bottom of that building, the, the tower of shopping carts. I think these are little details that like build the world so much without really explaining anything directly. Right. What does the world look like in post-apocalypse, but without having to like have exposition to explain things directly yeah you're absolutely right the production design's fantastic Mm -hmm. and well Um, worth mentioning and like speaking of that one thing that i'm always impressed by every time i see this movie because like i don't think this movie had a huge budget it certainly doesn't appear to be a high budget film but in that opening sequence man they sure did close down a lot of london to get like some of these these mm-hmm. like really l- wide shots like oh yeah when impressive. when i talk about like like needing a bigger budget that's not to say that this film didn't have one like, yeah, it clearly I, had had something. Or they had it. like a plug in the government who was like willing to make some things happen for them because like that always impresses me. The scene of Cillian Murphy wandering around London trying to figure out what's going on because it's like it looks so good. It's like major metropolitan parts of the city. Mm-hmm like right on the Thames and they had to dress all of that. They had to make it a mess and make it look like people have left here in a panic. It's I was, like, that's, I was it's reading impressive. a little more into that and apparently they just stopped traffic from like 6 to 7 a.m. and they had an hour Did to shoot first thing in the all morning. of that on like a Sunday. Which is crazy. Like, they got a lot of mileage out of that Yeah, material. the fact that they were able to dress those sets so quickly, mm-hmm. too, as well as get the shots. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? I mean, and, and I think that, that that kind of, like, I'm sure they had to hurry, so the shots are not, like, flashy or anything. I think that that really helps engage with that level of, like naturalism that the rest of the film has some of that feels almost voyeuristic you know like you're like just watching this lone man wander around this abandoned city one sequence i want to mention too that really stands out because it feels like they dropped a lot of budget into it and it feels over the top to the point of kind of comical is the giant gas explosion yeah oh yeah (laughs) Yeah, when they blow up the gas station. Oh, yeah, that's right. The wide shot of it is, like, obviously CG, but they did blow up that gas station, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, and it's, like, a big set piece uh, it's for like, a moment there. It felt it, it felt kind of reminiscent of, like, when they blow up the gas station at the end of um, Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> Yeah, it's like exactly. it's like okay, we've got one shot at this, so let's get five cameras set up, and we're going to use all of these <laughs> angles. <laughs> I paid for five cameras. I'm getting five cameras worth of this. Yeah, well, I mean, we can't we can't reset to one after this. We gotta make we gotta make sure we get a good shot. That's a good point because, like, in the grand scheme of the movie, that part feels so inconsequential. Kind of. Yeah, it really does. Like, there's never a huge set piece in the same respect. Like, you get your fair share of interesting set pieces beyond that, but you can't top or follow a, right. a giant explosion. And and like they don't real they don't have much of a reason to really blow up the gas station. Like, it's kind of a <laughs> no. distraction, I guess. 
but you know it doesn't it's not like some some big plan to like help them escape or get somewhere and lure all the zombies away you know it's just like oh well fuck let's fucking blow up the gas station fuck it I think the only other set piece that comes close is like the big mansion at the end where oh, the yeah. the soldiers have holed up and when the all the zombies attack them at night and they're just running across the lawn and like hitting landmines and being shot at and stuff <laughs> that that felt like a, a big budget moment. Yeah, I like for that sure. part. I think one of my favorite set pieces was just um what was it Frank? Was that his name? Oh yeah, Brendan Gleeson. Yeah, like uh it was like Frank's home. After all of the darkness, all the the chaos and pandemonium, to to have them find Frank as this like heroic figure at the top of the stairs with a riot shield, uh, like yeah, he's great. Uh, yeah, like uh, he's he just immediately comes across as like this like like fresh breath of air and safety, and he's such a believable character. Too. Such a good dad. Yeah, yeah you know, I, with, I love I love with the Frank these character. kind of movies too. You always expect duplicitous motives with characters yeah. especially good characters on the front right you do get that in this yes, movie absolutely. towards the end absolutely but not from but frank not from right frank. there are still good people like there, you, there are good people there are bad people you know and it's like, not that nihilistic exactly you know and and i honestly i think it's one of the greatest it's the biggest saving grace of this and film. the bad the bad people don't show up until the end like everybody silly and murphy meets up till that point is you know like when he first uh meets like what's her face selena is that her name and the other dude she's with they're kind of standoffish and like jerks a little bit like selena's kind of a you know a bitch to him for a while but they're still good people like they're still helping him you know Mm -hmm. like it's not just like oh immediately the whole world goes to shit and everybody's a monster all of a sudden they save that for the third act um (laughs) for the sneaking mission yeah for the sneaking (laughs) mission no frank is great he's probably my favorite character uh also like brendan gleason is definitely my favorite actor in this movie i always love seeing him show up thought it was funny that they let cillian murphy keep his irish accent but they made brendan gleason have like an english accent but he pulled it off. He's got range. Oh, for sure. Um, but yeah, he's a great character because you get that little breath of fresh air when you meet him and Hannah and they're like safe for the night and like can sleep in a bed and be comfortable. But, you know, then there's still other problems. It's not like, OK, we made it to a safe place. We're going to be OK. It's like, well, we don't have supplies here. We're going to run out of water and food and uh, we're not going to be able to stay here. Another moment that I really like, too, is like when they get out to where the blockade is supposed to be, like where they hear the signal on the radio, they hear there's military there and they think, OK, this is where we're going to get to and we're going to be safe. And it's like Frank is so optimistic and cheery for the entire journey. And then like when they get there and see that nobody's there, like seeing the way that he kind of breaks down and starts to like lose his temper because he was so set on them getting to this place and being safe that when he's confronted with a different reality that it like really deeply affects him and 
ends up getting him killed and his death is tragic. Yeah. I, I, I love his, his rage sequence because it's, it's one of the more believable ones I've seen in films. Uh, and not, not because of his, uh, performance, which is, is great. Uh, but because of the other actors and how they're just kind of awkwardly standing there. Yeah. Like, it's very genuine. It's very real. That touches on a big theme of this, uh, movie, which, which is morality how you sort of keep your cool uh, yeah. during, like, apocalyptic times. Uh, you know, and those sorts of themes uh, in other apocalyptic films like Mad Max and stuff aren't always addressed uh, the same way. And I think it's cool seeing, like, Frank's character approaching it so perfectly. Like, and it's nice to see someone, like, doing everything right in that respect, like, early on. You know, like, uh, Frank it still like, takes time to enjoy the little things. He still, like, has... The, the you know he, he makes sure to get some like good scotch at the store and like savor those moments you know because yeah, it's all when, they have when Cillian Murphy and Naomi uh, Harris show up to his apartment the first thing he does is like what what do I what do we have that we can all like toast that we can celebrate that you guys are here it's like oh let's go get let's break out mom's creme de menthe and it's like <laughs> that's such a, a a fun quirky little scene where it's like they all are just like drinking this like cheap green liqueur because that's all they have but like it's the it's the symbolic gesture that makes it important you got to hold on to those those little pieces of hope and joy in the apocalypse and that's why we're like everything really just immediately goes so far south like when frank dies like he is like the optimistic center of the party and when he's gone everything gets bad it's a real turning point in the movie yeah I feel like this movie pretty radically shifts in the last third of the movie once Frank dies and they get to the to the military base. Yeah, the occupied mansion. Yeah, it really goes into that classic zombie territory of the humans are the true yep. evil, you know, akin to dawn of the dead except instead of uh in dawn of the dead where it's just some yeehaw bikers throwing pies in the faces of zombies here it's rapey soldiers (laughs) i like how they they sort of use like the metaphor of the dinner to to give that away they're also trying to find their morale and their bright spots and so one of the guys is like dressed up as a chef and they've made this special meal in this big mansion and they're all sitting down by candlelight, uh, having this meal that's beans and, you know, other, like, store food. And, Can shit, yeah, and, yeah. like, the chef makes a, the chef, quote, you know, like, soldier, makes a, a big deal about that he's made omelets. And they're made out of really bad eggs. And so they can't eat them. Yeah. And it's, you know. So that, like, celebratory moment is spoiled. Yep. And by then, a lot of bad eggs. That's right. And guess what the soldiers turned out to be? A lot of bad eggs. That's right. Isn't that also the scene uh, where Christopher Eccleston has his thing about this is just people killing people like what we've always done like this is this this is kind of just like mankind as we as we are at it's our just, like basis just Daleks killing Daleks right yeah uh, Doctor Who over here he's pretty good he uh, he's, he's he, I, I think he's much more fitting in this role than quirky Doctor Who. 
Yeah, like, this is where he, like he belongs. He plays a good. <laughs> he plays a good villain. Yeah, yes, I he think, does. Or, he or was... just a soldier character, a serious role. He does serious roles quite nicely, and I like him in those. And I don't hate Doctor Who, but eh, that's all other thing. I think it's a quirky character. I just, I, I it was a weird choice to reboot the franchise. <laughs> don't get me started on Doctor. Yeah, Who. We, yeah, we, we that's shouldn't. a no. Uh, we're not going to do that. Get people yeah. upset. Um, <laughs> that scene is a a really nice foreshadowing of like the bad thing to come because like when they find the soldiers in the first place like they don't seem evil it's no not they seem like, great they don't seem sinister you know they seem militant mm-hmm. as soldiers are and you know like hard men but also uh, hard times you right know? You gotta but get by you know you like they have they have this whole like big mansion that they've sequestered and set up like mines in the lawn and like razor wire Flood and shit lights. like like yeah it's it's fortified so it's like they have found safety, apparently, you know, seeming safety. And so, like, it does sort of feel like a, a bit of a brief uh, respite after Frank's death. But no, no, no. Then turns I, out people are the real monsters. Imagine that. <laughs> I think they handle the the shift from, you know, playful fraternity to toxic masculinity yes. really well. The turning point is really the big sequence where tons of zombies are running in and they're just going all yeehaw on them. Yeah, they they're they turn into like fucking soccer hooligans, you know, right lads. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the I think the turn is really interesting because I think the whole crux of that whole third act is they're so repressed sexually. From being an all-male group yeah. in an apocalypse that they're sacrificing their morals for uh, sort of bestial pleasures. Yeah, and you know, I think I think Christopher Eccleston's sort of, like, turn is handled in a believable way, not justifiable by any means, no. but, like, his, you can follow his logic. It feels real, you know? He tells Cillian Murphy, like, I caught one of the boys the other day with his gun in his mouth because he said there was nothing to live for and there's no future. So I set out, I sent out the broadcast and I promised them women because women mean a future. And it's like, that's fucking creepy and, you know, evil, but it has a, a, a kind of perverse logic to it, you know, especially for like these kinds of people. As a matter of fact, it's it's not too far from like the realities of, of history and wartime. Right. And like horrifying colonial accounts. I mean, hey, the British were great at colonialism. Oh, <laughs> boy, weren't they? Uh, <laughs> good God. Uh, Maybe we're the, well some practiced of the, yeah, for uh, this. Some of the best until we came along. Mm-hmm. See the Nightingale uh, for for more colonialism horror. Yeah, right. But, you know, little has changed on that front, so they were just regressing. It's believable and uh, horrifying and kind of wretched. People are terrible. It's certainly nihilistic, yeah. I'd be remiss to not bring up The Last of Us right around now, but I know I know that you two have played it. So I haven't I, played it, but I've watched a playthrough. I mean, oh, don't okay. spoil yeah, it. I, I wouldn't spoil for it for, for yeah, listeners, anyone else, but, but. Uh, the pacing of, of The Last of Us, you know, has, has a lot of similar moments. Um, I'm sure they were very inspired by this film. Oh, I mean, thoroughly. There's no question on that front. I think that if you 
you know, and enjoyed like 28 days later, like the narrative for The Last of Us, like I think like takes it that extra mile. You want to talk about like later adaptations that actually did their own thing with it and managed to tell like a an original story. That's The Last of Us. And it has those, you know, those similarly paced moments where you meet good people and they make meet their ends and, and the rest. It's, it's well done. Well, what I really like is Cillian Murphy's impetus for like deciding to fight back. I love that turning point for him because he hasn't been completely useless up till this point, but he hasn't done a whole lot. He's always kind of been in the background while like other people have like done the killing or stuff to keep them alive. Just like see how Naomi Harris's character behaves or like even Brendan Gleeson with his fucking riot shield. Um, but, you know, we, we have the scene of Cillian Murphy going into like the, the gas station to look around and, you know, he gets attacked by the, the, the infected kid, the child, boy yeah, and, and like he kills he kills the kid. But that's like his first real kill. And it's like a child. It's a, infected, but still a child. But when he's like lying out there in the woods after he's escaped being shot by by the soldiers and looks up and sees an airplane flying over in the distance and realizes that despite what everybody else has been telling them that maybe the world has not ended like one of the other soldiers the only actual good soldier who they did kill was saying too which honestly is i think really fantastic world building because like the whole implication is that it's just the UK that's infected because this is not like a virus, like something like, um, well, COVID that stays asymptomatic for, but contagious for a few days before it turns you like these zombies are turned within 30 seconds of, you know, contact with blood or saliva. We even hear somebody say it at one point. I think it's that same soldier. Like, how would this make it across like borders how would this make it across the sea like how would you carry this and it's like oh yeah that's a good point so maybe the uk is just quarantined it's a big fucking island and when cillian murphy realizes that and realizes that there's actually maybe hope of rescue or hope that the world is still going on after this and this isn't the end that's when he decides I'm going to fucking go back and save Naomi Harris and the the and Frank's daughter and fuck up these soldiers. And the movie turns into what Metal Gear Survive should have been. <laughs> Just a huge stealth mission utilizing zombies as a distraction. I thought that was fucking great. He goes back to the the mansion in the rain and frees the one infected soldier that they have chained up in the yard. And uh, just, like, the havoc that that wreaks upon all of the rest. I love that whole sequence. It's fun. It's definitely fun. I, I agree. I like the... Uh, the music that's going on the whole time too it's been used a lot i didn't realize that like the dying light theme aped it like so closely that's a game i haven't played i haven't played that game either i think the music in general in this movie is fun it's pretty good post rock yeah 
Yeah, a lot you of proggy know. stuff, very explosions in the sky. It works better at certain times than it does at others. It feels a little dated at times. I really like it in the in the the sequence you're talking about, Cleveland, like at the end, uh, during that whole action scene. But like it feels like a little bit too much when Cillian Murphy is walking around London at the beginning. It's almost like too high energy for like how empty everything is. Like it's like fucking pumping and like getting louder and escalating it's like the dude's just walking around empty streets like picking up money off the ground plastic and, like, bags flittering in the wind right exactly <laughs> right <It's>, uh, <laughs> it feels a little a little uh too high energy but yeah in general i would agree it's uh it's fitting yeah and i feel like while a lot of the, the soundtrack could be considered dated it's it's a far cry from like Zack snyder's dawn of the dead ending with down with the sickness <laughs> Oh man, I still haven't seen that that movie. <laughs> That's a movie we'll cover this year probably when the new Zack Snyder zombie movie comes out on Netflix. If it comes out, uh, so this, it's finished that, production. So, so, okay, so it probably so well. it'll probably come out. Who knows when Netflix is always secretive? Yeah. about that stuff. But. You know, I I would say just like in general, I think you say some of the music is kind of dated, and it is. I think in general, this movie's kind of dated. Yes. I don't think it's dated in a terrible way. I mean, it's very much like a product of when it was made, like just watching it. I wouldn't be surprised like if a lot of younger audiences would watch something like this and be like, why does it look so ugly? Like the aesthetic is very, it's not pretty by any means it's just like you said you know it's it's shot on fucking hd video you can buy the camera it was shot on for like 300 bucks nowadays right which is like way cheaper than the cameras that we were using in fucking film school like prosumer level cameras yeah it's, look, look at fucking red cameras costing like fifty thousand right per camera and you're just like Oh, this makes sense. You know, even considering this was O2. Yeah. And it's today. But I mean, also, like, look at some of the other recent movies we've talked about that came out in O two, O three, Cabin Fever, The Descent. Those movies are also very much products of when they were made, but aesthetically, they have a lot more going. And I yeah. don't think it's a complaint in relation to 28 Days Later. I think you made a great point earlier, Ben, when you said that like the aesthetic really matches the tone of the film, because I think it does. It feels almost like documentary for a sort of very narrow view of like or very specific view of the apocalypse from like just a couple of characters like that kind of natural unbiased kind of uh perspective works really well or the aesthetic that that accompanies that i should say you know there's a lot of movies in that era and before that i would call timeless this movie is not necessarily one of them no you know but at the same time i think the lo-fi DV style uh, informs the tone of the movie. It's a bold choice to make. It's one of those movies that might be considered badly dated just by everything that it has influenced that comes after it, just because so many of these tropes have become so prevalent and so overdone that if you don't have kind of the context of what this movie did for the genre... When watching it, it's like I could see people like new viewers thinking it that is like boring and also like 
cliche. I think it does drag a bit at times, but I don't think it's really a very boring film. No, I thought the pacing was fine. Uh, one thing uh, it's not really a gripe about, but it's I think it's a conversation point is it's a little like nice guy the way that like Cillian Murphy like bashes the dude's brains out and then immediately after um he and uh Naomi Harris, Naomi Harris like like have like a makeout scene um I thought that was a little weird they they had like d- dressed her up and like it was it was a really like like cringy like rough sequence and like she, her character had been through so much and for her to be like in the mood like during that was just a little weird. To it's me. inappropriate timing, but it didn't bother me because they set they set it up before by having them sort of start falling for each other and making out before all of the shit hit the fan. And she went from thinking that because in that scene when he comes in and kills the soldiers that are holding her, she thinks he's infected because he's yes. so brutal uh, like in taking his vengeance on these soldiers and then so she's ready to kill him and then has that moment of relief when she realizes that he's not infected and that they're safe for Mm. the moment i mean she's a strong character so like her like reclaiming that like is i think there's an argument to be made for like it being totally fine it feels it feels believable but you know it's that it's that kind of thing that like a lot of movies do where it's like this isn't really the time for a kiss now is it but like we want to have some kind of like romantic catharsis you know for these characters whom have had the the sexual tension building between them for the whole movie um so you know it's fine it didn't bother me too much there's better times and places for these things folks but you know it's not a a, a huge uh mark on the movie i don't think it's short enough. Have you guys seen 28 Weeks Later? Nope. I have not. I haven't either. Did Danny Boyle do that no. one? I no, didn't think didn't. so. He but Cillian Murphy's in it, isn't he? I don't think he's I don't think even so in either. Oh. I think it's uh, Emotion Poots, who's great. I, I love her. She's great in Green Room. I just saw her in Vivarium. I remember it, it did better at the box office, and it was kind of a pretty popular movie when it came out it just kind of escaped me when it doesn't it came out. it's one of those sequels that doesn't feel necessary especially if it wasn't made by like the people who did the original i would have to see it to to say for sure but it feels like a case of a studio trying to capitalize on a property they own and bring in a different team to to try to capture what the first one did and, and probably to lesser results. I don't know. Maybe it had a bigger budget, so maybe maybe some yeah. maybe some people liked it more. Cause yeah, it looks like Danny Boyle and Alex Garland produced it, but that's about the extent of it. Yeah, and uh, who and like Idris Elba is in it apparently. Oh, oh fun. Okay. alongside. Uh, uh, Rose Byrne and Jeremy Renner. Oh, weird. <laughs> it's a cast. I just rewatched Sunshine the other day. Yeah, I saw that sitting on the table there. Collaboration between Alex Garland and Danny Boyle. How'd, uh, um, how's it hold up? You know, it's a it's a pretty f- fucking I solid movie. I like a lot of things about it. I think it I think it kind of falls apart in third act. in the third yes, act. Sir. Yeah. yeah. And I think that there's I, agree with that. I think that there's some uh the hard science fiction was fine and they didn't need to take I, it down that weird route. I think there's some kind of hacky moments, but you know, Sunshine feels more like an Alex Garland thing to me than an, a Danny Boyle thing, which is weird. Um 
I would say that at this point, Alex Garland has far eclipsed Danny Boyle in terms of like his creative output and quality. <laughs> his auteurship. Yes, absolutely. Garland's eclipsed just about everyone uh, at this point, as far as I'm concerned, uh, between Annihilation and Devs and Ex Machina. And Ex Machina, like, yeah. He's, he's, he's the best out there. Like, I'm inclined right to agree, yeah. He's, he's probably my favorite living filmmaker right now. Um, like, we'll see how Denise Delaneuve does with Dune, but... I also just rewatched Blade Runner 2049, and it, it holds up. It's a good fucking movie. <laughs> sells uh, within sells. Yeah, man. I, I love that film. Yeah, uh, check out Devs. It's, it's oh, yeah. Really Jesus Christ. You want to see more like our, Alex Garland. Like, you want to see, like, Alex Garland now. Like, after 20 how far days. How far he's come, yeah. Because, mm-hmm. like, I, I do think that there's that there are things in the 28 Days Later script... Uh, that feel amateurish. Not, I don't think there's anything bad, but you know, there's some... signs of a starting young writer. You yeah. know, who's 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 you know getting their go in the industry. I think it's I one think of his. I think it's it was one of his first film scripts. I know he got started as a novelist. Like that's how he got picked up into the film industry originally. I think um, is because people liked his books. I think there's even growth between. Uh, 28 Days Later and Sunshine, just in terms of, like, concept. I think 28 Days Later is a little better of a movie. Uh, but once again, not the show to talk about how great Alex Garland is, because he fucking is. And watch Devs if you have It's on Hulu. It's on Hulu. Great binge-worthy content uh, for your quarantine. Do you guys want to rate this? Yeah, uh, I don't we think might I have as well. To say. Uh, yeah, uh, I think this movie holds up pretty well. It shows its age in certain ways, but uh, still has a lot of good content. Um, really interesting to see how it's affected the zombie genre over the preceding almost 20 years. Uh, good acting. Uh, some fun gore effects. We didn't talk too much about that, but, uh, there's some, some nice bloody stuff. The blood vomit is great. The blood vomit is good. I love the blood vomit. There's always love some um, blood vomit. Yeah. Uh, it, no, it's, it's still a pretty strong film. I'm going to give it a four out of five. Uh, I'm going to mirror you in a lot of respects. I'm going to give it a four out of five as well. Um, I'm very hit or miss with uh, Danny Boyle's work, but this is probably my favorite Danny Boyle movie. While dated, a lot of it still holds strong, and a lot of it uh, is clearly influential to the rest of modern uh, zombie movies. Uh, Much like Hannah in the third act, I'm going to hold up the mirror and also give it four stars. Nice. Oh, yeah, that was a cool sequence that we didn't really talk about when she's yeah. hiding behind the mirror and the zombie mm. is, like, looking at its reflection. Sure. Like that little moment. Um, okay, cool. Well, that'll be a unanimous four out of five pods for 28 Days Later. Next week, we're doing something a little bit different. Friend of the pod, Aaron, reached out to us on Twitter and said, Hey, boys, can you do... Uh, haunt, I have some feelings about it. <laughs> and uh, not only are we going to do Haunt, which is a film that I had never fucking heard of before now. Big same. Um, it came out uh, last year. It is produced by Eli Roth and written and directed by the two guys who wrote A Quiet Place. Oh. So uh, other than that, I don't really know much about it. But not only are we going to be talking about it, but Aaron is also going to call into the show and join us for that episode. So listen back next week for a 
another guest episode. Yeah. We're looking forward to it. Uh, Cleveland, do we have a sponsor this week? We have a sponsor every week. <laughs> uh, you keep saying that. Uh, and, and this week is... Uh, it's no different. Uh, uh, let me let me uh, just um, uh, swim over to the sponsor shelf and uh, see what it has for us. I'll, I'll be right back after I've uh, dried off the blood. Sometimes my hands are too dry. Too dry. Yes. Interesting. Sometimes they're too dry, but I've been playing a lot of uh, of uh, the this this new game called uh, 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 Fighter Frenzy uh, uh, Deluxe Special. It's a mobile app, and when you play it, your hands get really wet. Uh, so this episode is brought to you by Fighter Frenzy Raid Time Attack, and it it'll get your hands nice and damp. Is that one of those PTW uh, paid to wet games? Yeah, it is. It is actually. I know we finally we've been trying to land one as a sponsor for like weeks now, and we finally did. The shelf has granted us a paid to wet game, so now. Go out and get wet with fight, attack, mission, kill, attack. Raid. Yeah. The in-sweatening. The in sweat <laughs> For when your hands need in-wetening. <laughs> I mean, what else can you say? Nothing. Uh, other than that'll bring us to the end of this week's episode. If you like the show... Go on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and a nice review. Uh, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts that you can leave a rating, do that and help us work our way up in the charts. We would very much appreciate it. You can follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod and on Letterboxd.com slash PodPeoplePod, where you will find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those episodes. I am on Twitter at Deep State Ozzy. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. And I'm blasting off tweets left and right uh, for Light Arc Studio. Uh, I'm, uh, actually, I, I'm not tweeting too often because we're uh, busy working up our, uh, our, our next update for It Stares Back. Uh, go check it out. Uh, we're on Steam and Early Access, and we're spooky and fun and pretty cheap right now too and and most importantly not pay to win that's right microtransaction free yeah we and, and your to hands we, yeah. <laughs> no the wedding is free yeah <laughs> the, the, every time the unwetting is free <laughs> <laughs> um uh you can also check out our discord uh, uh at our website lightarkstudio.com and uh, also check out my art station. Just uh, search Cleveland Mosier. Look at some some cool paintings because uh, some of those cool paintings could be made for you. My commissions are open. Come and check me out and I'll, uh, I'd love to do some art for you. All right. Well, I have been much like Cillian Murphy naked this entire time. We didn't talk about Cillian Murphy's penis. We didn't. Which we do get to see in full in this movie. That's correct. Is Boris Johnson. That's right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. <laughs>